Welcome to Helix Talk, a podcast presented by the Rosalind Franklin University College of Pharmacy. We're hoping that our real-life clinical pearls and discussions will help you stay up-to-date and improve your pharmacy knowledge. This podcast contains general information for educational purposes only. This is not professional advice and should not be used in lieu of obtaining advice from a qualified healthcare provider. And now, on to the show. Welcome to episode 34 of Helix Talk. I'm your co-host, Dr. King. I'm Dr. Schumann. And I'm Dr. Patel. And this week, we're talking about some newly approved insulin products that have just made it to the market. So, namely, we're going to be talking about Tujeo, that's Glargene U300, Humalog U200, and very recently approved Daglodec, which is available as U100 as well as U200. Remember, Frieza is also a new insulin, but we've talked about it already in episode 16. Well, Dr. Patel, when you say U100, U200, and U300, what do the numbers mean? Basically, these are the strengths of your insulin. So that basically means that there are um, 300 units of insulin per 1 ml of this Tujeo. Same thing with Humalog, there is 200 units per 1 ml versus the traditional ones, the U100, it's 100 units per 1 ml. So you're talking about a little stronger insulin, if you would say so. So then most of the insulins on the market before these guys came out, almost all of them were U100, right? That is correct. Um, besides the fact that regular insulin was available as U500 to begin with, but now you're going to be seeing all these new strains because the original U100, either it's near to its patent expiration or manufacturers done making money and they want to make money on the new prototype. Yeah, I was about to ask you what the reason was for it, but it sounds like you answered it, that there may be a little bit of an idea about kind of rebranding or holding on to some of those patents. That is true, and over the time, as we are learning more about diabetes, we're finding out that, especially for type 2 diabetes, the insulin resistance is too much, and some patients are on 300, 400 units of glargine a day. You can imagine how much uh, volume they're injecting per day. So using a little bit stronger insulin like U300, they might be injecting a little less volume comparatively. Cool. Well, why don't we kick it off with the first agent you mentioned, Tujeo, which is Glargine U300. Can you tell us a little bit more about this agent? Sure. So it is a long-acting, like the name says, it's Glargine, long-acting insulin that was approved in February. It's for the use for basal insulin. Um, we talked about the concentration as well as 300 units per ml, but there is no vial syringe form available. It's only strictly pens. So Tujeo pens, they're on this like tan green color pens available and it's 1.5 ml pen so total units you're going to get it's 450 units. Now one of the first things I think of when we talk about these ultra high concentrated insulins is maybe some of the risk for accidental dose errors if you were to draw it up with a uh, vial for example with a very large amount so is I assume then that was kind of the thought between restricting it to just a pen? Absolutely. This is kind of wrapping around with patient safety and making sure that you're not injecting. Because insulin is, according to ISMP, one of the um, medications that's on high alert list. And so we have to be really careful with dosing. So by keeping one formulation and having the built-in titration, just click in, click on, um, it, you can minimize the errors. And for the audience that doesn't know, when you have a syringe that you use for insulin, it actually has 
kind of a built-in concentration assumed for the syringe. So a typical insulin syringe is going to be for a U100 insulin. And you can actually draw, let's say, 10 units, mm -hmm. which would correspond to a certain number of mLs. And if you mess with going from U100 to U200, then what is on the vial or what's on the syringe won't correspond to the actual dose that you're giving. Correct. And let's say you're, you know, mathematically savvy and you will be able to do that conversion, but you have to think about it that the the syringes are calibrated two units versus the vial you can calibrate one unit even, you know, so. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when I think about a lot of my patients who have either, you know, a fair number who have potentially used insulin as a potential suicidal gesture or a suicidal act, as well as those who have cognitive impairment, you know, those with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, who are getting these medications, maybe for long-standing diabetes, or maybe even for some insulin resistance related to their medications, you know, you're just playing with fire when you when you talk about just handing somebody a big vial and saying, now go take care of this on your own. Yeah, and I think when it comes to vial syringe versus pen use, besides the safety point, it's, it's just about comfort, patient comfort and convenience as well. Europe has long gone forgotten the vial syringe practice. I think United States is where probably the vial usage is a little bit more over the pen when you think about globally. That's interesting. So when I think of different insulins, I mean, insulin that is insulin glargine works similarly in the body to any other insulin, but usually it's the kinetic profile that differs. Absolutely correctly. Yeah. So um, when you talk about insulin, it's pretty much the same molecule, but the way they have designed it, it gives us a different pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamic effect, and that's how they're different. So what is it about 2JO that is different than, let's say, glargine? So the onset of action is a little bit longer. Um, so with Lantus, we get the onset within three to four hours. With um, Tujeo, we get it somewhere about six hours post-injection. And if you think about how we're using this product as a basal insulin, it's not that big of a deal that we have this later onset of action, right? That's true. So even though we get the delayed onset of action, when you think about the duration of action, it's a little bit longer than Lantus. So we say Lantus is about 24 hours, and this one goes beyond 24 hours. They say about um, uh, 32 to 35 hours is the, the half-life, or I should say duration of action. So given that, if we're converting a patient, say, from our Lantus to our Tejo, what, what are we doing? Do we need to do a dose change to reflect that? No, so like I said, it's concentrated insulin, so you'll be injecting less volume, but when it comes to conversion from either glargine to Tejo, it's one-to-one -one conversion. So it, it becomes easy because um, what they have um, done in the market, Lantus is still available. They're not pulling Lantus out of the market because some patients might be at a very small dose and not require you 300. Um, but I work in a clinic and I used to get Lantus samples for, you know, economically challenged patients. And now they're saying we're only going to give you to JAO pens, you know. So if I have a patient and I want to teach them how to start taking insulin, I may be able to go ahead with Tujeo pen and teach them how to do it. But let's say, you know, they go out and get a prescription insurance doesn't cover Tujeo, covers Lantus. It should be okay for them to switch back to Lantus because the conversion is easy. And just to be clear, the generic name of the drug between Tujeo and Lantus is still the same thing, insulin glargine, right? That is correct. It's glargine. Just the strength is different. That'll be something important, though, for, again, once we become more familiar with these to where we're no longer using the brand names and the writing, it's something to be careful of in terms of, you know, again, those those errors in, in transcribing orders. 
Unfortunately, because it's a pen, you know, you're still dialing up a certain number of units, and it is a one-to-one conversion, like you said, Dr. Patel, but the downside is that kinetically they are a little bit different, um, and that could potentially lead to issues down the road in terms of patients accumulating different rates and things like that. Yeah, that definitely is to be kept in mind. So if you look at a few studies that looked at pharmacokinetic and dynamic, um, you would see they compare what happens to the insulin in the body after one injection and what happens to the insulin in the body after multiple injections. So multiple injections, think about reaching steady state. So what they found, and the ultimate efficacy point for these insulin or any anti-diabetic is glucose lowering effect. How much, um, you know, one unit of 2JO is going to decrease my glucose by how many points? So what they actually found is after single dose injection, 2JO gave us 12% lowering of glucose compared to um, Lantus, which is a little bit less than Lantus is. Um, and then with multiple dose injection, they found that glucose lowering was 27% compared to a little bit higher number with Lantus. So what they're saying, because it's fairly new in the market, and you know, if your patient is using Tejo, they're recently converted from Lantus to Tejo, but manufacturer says that over the period of time, the patient might need about 15% more Tejo dose compared to Lantus to get the same blood glucose target levels. So what you're saying is that even though we say it's a one-to-one in the PKPD studies, you, need, you actually may need a little bit more of the 2JO to get the same effect that you would see. That is correct. And it's going to become a little bit more apparent why I think this is the marketing gimmick when we talk about how it's available and we compare the availability of Lantus versus 2JO. So then it looks like from, I guess, the way to think about it is that, you know, if you have that effect right in 24 hours, not as much lowering initially, you almost think of more as a, a flat, more prolonged, more consistent profile. So it almost looks like even more of a, to use the word basal, so more basal than our previous basal. Yes, and that's where the, the researchers and the scientists are saying that this gives even the closer representation of a normal pancreas's basal release. So what about efficacy? It's great to talk about, you know, kinetics and dynamics and all that good stuff, but I, I assume that they had to go through phase three trials, even though it is the same molecule as packaged in a different way. Uh, What did we see in the actual clinical trials? So what they did to prove 2JO in the market is they compared it to their very own product, which is Lantus. So they had about a 26-week trial in type 1 patient in direct comparison with Lantus. To keep in mind, these patients were also on mealtime insulin, makes sense, type 1 patients. Uh, And they found that 2JO decreased the A1C by 0.4% versus Lantus that did by about 0.4%. 4%. And the baseline A1C was about 8.12% in both the groups. That's really not that big of a change, but at the same time, they're really not that high in terms of their baseline A1C anyway. So it's not like they had a lot of room that they needed improvement. For. Exactly. So if they had recruited patients who had worse A1Cs, maybe this difference would have been a little bit more statistically or clinically significant. And if you look at, you know, another goal of therapy is to control the fasting plasma glucose, and they found that it was lowered by 17% with 2JO versus 20% with Lantus. And that's for that that glucose-lowering effect we were talking about earlier, that it's a little bit more with Lantus that comes in handy here. Yeah, and I, I completely agree it's a little bit different. And certainly you may have to bump a patient up, you know, a couple units of insulin. But even clinically, like, I don't know that that is a huge difference, you know, between a 17 versus a 20% reduction. That's, you know, 3% absolute difference between the two groups. I don't know that a patient would even notice that much of a change. 
Absolutely. And then let's take a look at the type 2 patients. So these patients were um, in a combination of mealtime insulin plus or minus metformin to help with insulin resistance. And they found that um, A1C was reduced by 0.9% with 2JO versus 0.87% by Atlantis. So again, we are looking at pretty much similar A1C reduction. I believe then when combined with non-insulin drugs, we're looking at an A1C reduction of 0.73% and then 1.42% again in two different studies with Tejo, and that's compared to 0.7% and 1.46% versus Landis. So once again, we're looking at 0.03 to 0.04% differences there in, in some of those studies. So in terms of the safety analysis of these trials, they were basically the same as Lantus, but just to reiterate some of the normal points that we would see with either Lantus or Tejo, uh, hypoglycemia clearly is going to be an issue that for any insulin product, uh, for type 1 patients in the clinical trials, it was around 6 to 7%. Um, and then for type 2 patients, it depends a lot on the characteristics of the patient, how many hypoglycemic agents they're on and things like that. So we see a, a wider range, anywhere from 8 to upper 30 percentages in terms of hypoglycemia for type 2 patients. And minor cases of respiratory issues like nasopharyngitis and URTIs for up to about 12% were noted in the studies too. And there are a few other, other side effects as well that kind of fit with what we already know about insulin and that's mechanism of action. So some hypokalemia as moving potassium into the cells, some weight gain, peripheral edema, and lipodystrophy as well. So Dr. Patel, what kind of costs are we looking at given that it's really, really similar for probably the vast majority of the patients, they, they wouldn't know the difference between the two drugs. Yeah, so I think the manufacturer has been really smart with this to make it apparent because we're thinking, you know, you're using one-to-one -one conversion. So I'm going to use the same units of Tejo. So they kind of kept the prices for Atlantis and Tejo the same. Now, here is the trick. You get 1,350 units of Tujeo because it's 450 units per pen. You get three pens in a package. Versus Lantus Solister comes in pens of five. So the whole box contains 1,500 units. So you're getting 150 units less with Tujeo compared to the Lantus. So that's where you might feel like you're getting gypped with getting Tujeo versus the Lantus. Then how many units is in one pen of the Lantus Solostar? That will be 300. 300. So they've really moved two things on you. They made it so each pen has more insulin, but they gave you fewer pens. But like you said, the sum total is a little bit lower, which it, that's actually a really intelligent marketing move. So we do see maybe a little bit of a, a price bump for the drug company, a little bit more expensive for the patient. Uh, clearly, patients that are on massive amounts of glargine every day, this would be a great option for them if they're finding that they get a lot of discomfort from a large volume injection. Dr. Patel, do you see this more as a patent extender for the drug company, or is this like a true unmet need for certain diabetic patients, or where do you see this drug in five years? You know, currently with the, the data and the information that we have from clinical use, you know, so-called post-marketing observation, I feel currently this place is more of a fill in the shoes, patent extender. With this changed uh, pharmacokinetic and dynamic profile, we might be able to see its niche developing in certain patients. Obviously, you mentioned those who are on high volume of uh, basal insulin, but also in those patients where there is that veering off effect at the end of insulin Lantus dose or at, you know just before the Lantus is due, because Lantus kind of they say manufacturer says the half life is anywhere from or duration of actions anywhere from twenty to twenty four hours. So 
Sometimes patients, by the end of that 24 hours, they have hyperglycemic episodes. So with this Tujeo going about 32 hours and keeping the administration still once daily, uh, we're thinking that you're giving that continual coverage of the medication. So, so I feel that is the biggest difference if Tujeo brings anything to the plate. But other than that, um, I think it's pretty much filling in shoes for Atlantis. And of course, to your point of those patients that have that wearing off effect, if only a portion of the patients in the clinical trials had that effect where they only lasted 20 hours with clergy, we may not have seen that in the clinical trials where Tujeo didn't really perform you know, much better than Lantus did. So it could be that in that particular patient population, Tujeo does have better efficacy. We just weren't able to kind of see that in a clinical trial of a bunch of different patients that have a bunch of different half-lives of Lantus. That's correct, because insulin gives a very different um, dynamics in different patient populations. So. Cool. So moving on to the next agent, it's a Humalog U200. And this is basically a more concentrated form of what has already been on the market, Humalog U100, right? That is correct, and it was approved in May 2015. So again, the concept here is the same. You're trying to utilize less volume. And I, my understanding is that it's, this one, though, is not to be used in pumps or in IV formulations. Currently, they are advising against because the pumps that are out in the market are calibrated to use only the U100 type insulins. Yes. And in terms of kinetics for Humalog U200, I would assume it has to be very similar to U100, the you know, rapid-acting insulin list pro in terms of uh, onset of effect and how long it lasts and things like that. It's very similar to U100. So if you look at the time for maximal glucose lowering, so Tmax, basically it's 2.8 hours with U100 versus 2.4 hours with the, the U200. And the glucose infusion rate is where you see the glucose lowering effect. Uh, it's 534 milligrams per minute with um, U200 versus 559 with U100. So they're pretty much similarly functioning here. The idea is just basically less volume. And if you're converting from any other rapid-acting insulin, this will be a one-to-one -one conversion. All right, and, and I know we talked we just talked about with, with uh, glargine that we were looking, they're going straight to a pen and completely avoiding the vials. Is that the case here as well? Correct. Um, no vials available, only pen formulation is available. So I think this is a good thing. Yeah, so that's a good thing. Like you said, that um, less room for error in terms of dosing and things like that. Here the pens are 3 ml and each contains 200 units um, per ml. So you get about 600 units per pen. So in terms of cost, what are we seeing with the Humalog U200 versus Humalog U100? So it looks like what we're talking about is uh, double the cost, essentially, $206 versus $103. We're looking at 1,200 units of the U200 at $206 versus 1,500s of the U100 for about $103. So basically, when you try to get U200, you'll get one box that has two pens, and so you get a total of 6 ml, versus the Humalog, it's a box of five pens, you get 15 ml. So... What is the patient population that would want to spend double the amount of money to get a more concentrated version of insulin? But fewer units overall per package. Well, that, that is a definitely a good question. Most of the times, you know, in my clinical practice, I've seen patients with mealtime insulins. Um, they're not utilizing a whole lot of dose. Now, you might have patients who are on three times a day, 
fixed pre-meal insulin and then some sliding scale, you know, depending on how their glucose is controlled. So if they're utilizing a whole lot of Humaloc throughout the day, then maybe I'm thinking this concentrated form will look better for them. All right, so I believe that there's another agent that recently came on the market, and this one's brand, brand, brand spanking new. Is that correct? That is correct. Actually, just got approved last Friday. All right, staying on the cutting edge here, folks. And so this one is a different type of insulin altogether. So we have basal insulin, bolus insulin, and then in basal we have the intermediate acting and long acting. And then bolus we have the short acting and rapid acting. Daplodec actually is an ultra long acting insulin. Uh, and it was just approved three days ago. They actually applied um, through FDA in 2013 and it was rejected because they did not have cardiovascular outcome studies done. And we discussed during past few podcasts um, involving diabetes medication that now FDA requires a trial that completely shows cardiovas- no cardiovascular harm. Um, and they're bringing this meds in market. So it was originally approved in Europe uh, with the brand name of Traceba, and finally the Novo Nordisk got FDA approval. So you'll, it hasn't been, it has not become available in the market for customer use yet, but it has been approved. So then just to clarify, the Gludec is the generic, so it's insulin to Gludec with the Traceba as the branding? That is correct. So. Traceba is the brand name and Degludac is the generic form of insulin. And um, as we covered, you'll notice there is another formulation of Degludac also approved. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I don't treat a lot of diabetes, but I would assume that an ultra-long-acting insulin is going to be a basal insulin that you inject once per day that controls your basal glycemic control. Absolutely, and that's that's what we are looking at. And the word ultra comes from ultra long duration of action. So we cover two JO and say the duration of action sometimes can be seen 30, 32 hours. Guess what? With this one, you got greater than 42 hours of duration. So this one is a, a true basal um, type of insulin. And so if that's the case, if this one's very long acting, does it have a slower time to start acting? Are we talking maybe it won't kick in for a few hours? Actually, um, they're saying somewhere between 60 to 90 minutes. So anywhere between hour, hour and a half is the onset of action. So it's a little bit quicker than 2JO if you can uh, remember what we discussed in there. You essentially do not see any peak. So if you um, were to look up some of the graphs, which we cannot show here, um, you would see that 2JO still has that little onset of action, you know, going up and then it kind of plateaus out. If you see Degludec, you inject it and it's, it gives you that nice straight line type of profile. So like Lantus and like some of our other long-acting insulins, is this also a clear product? Correct. And that being said, like we cannot mix Lantus with any other insulin. Um, this recommendation is the same. It should not be mixed with other insulin at this point. And when we talk about mixing with other insulin, we're talking about mixing physically in one chamber, one um, syringe. A lot of students get confused when I tell them, oh, you can't mix the insulin. So they think that I cannot have a patient on um, a cloudy and a clear insulin, obviously given at a different time, different area of the body. That's not the case when we talk about mixing the insulin. We're talking about physically putting two together. In terms of mixing, did the manufacturer provide vials for this or is this only a pen? Uh, once again, like I said, the formulation is still not out yet. They're still going to do their big launch, but uh, we're, we have heard that they're going to 
um, introduced flex touch pen technology. That's the new one that Novo has developed where the dialer doesn't come all the way out so your thumb doesn't have to extend if you're taking longer doses. Um, it twists inside the pen device itself. And that would be in contrast to like the Solo Star that does come out? That is correct. All right, then I wonder then, is it different in terms of kind of the time it takes to almost tick down as you squeeze the, the, the button on it? Will that be a little bit different in kind of that tactile clicking down as you go through the uses? That is correct. Yep, yep. So then at this point, as far as we know, the adverse, adverse effects and the efficacy and the warnings, all of those things are going to be very similar to what we see with our other long-acting insulins, right? Um, that is correct. So far, the um, adverse reactions and warnings are pretty much similar, including hypoglycemia, injection site issues, such as fat distribution changes. I know we talked about accumulation a little bit ago. I'd be curious to know, again, about about it with, with this drug. I wonder if they have done or if they're considering doing some sort of an every other day kind of dosing just to see see what it does in that state. Yeah. Further studies on PKPD should be revealed okay. sometimes soon as well. So given that the kinetic profile is a lot longer than Lantus, uh, what are we seeing in terms of recommendations for Traceba if you're going to go from Lantus to Traceba? Uh, currently, the manufacturer is recommending one-to-one conversion, although I'm a little skeptical because of the longer duration of action um, comparing the two. Um, but currently, if you're following uh, manufacturer's recommendation, it will be once a day dosing. And I can tell you that, you know, especially once this actually makes it to the market where a patient can buy it in a pharmacy. I'd really be interested to see longer term studies, you know, phase four studies in terms of hypoglycemic rates and efficacy studies, given that kinetically it's very, very different than Lantus. And you'd expect, as an example, more hypoglycemia in patients that don't know that they will miss a couple meals the following day. But normally it wouldn't be a big deal with Lantus, but with this one, because it's still lasting, uh, seeing some hypoglycemia with that. I know if you look in the uh, the European guidelines, the, the NICE guidelines, they have some, some data with statistically significant reductions in the number of hypoglycemic events when comparing it with gargine and a similar tolerability, and those are in some 52 weeks of studies. Right, and I think if you look at the um, the cases, you know, we talk about gargine being so safe in regards to the nocturnal hypoglycemia. They're saying that the glutic actually has even lower incidences of uh, nocturnal hypoglycemia compared to gargine. Dr. Patel, just to uh, end on this point, would you mind talking more about that for the, the listeners about hypoglycemia at nighttime with long-acting insulins? Um, so, you know, we for the longest time to use as a basal insulin, we had the NPH insulin. And one of the biggest things with NPH was that it was causing patients to have um, nocturnal hypoglycemia. Basically, it's the hypoglycemic episode that occurs in the middle of the night. Hypoglycemia in general is not good to have, but when it occurs in the middle of the night, sometimes patients do not feel the symptoms enough to wake up and realize that their sugars are low. And this could be particularly very dangerous because if they don't realize the initial onset of hypoglycemia, their sugars can just keep dropping and they can easily convert into coma. And so we needed um, an insulin product that would not give us nocturnal hypoglycemia. And so when the glargine came out in the market, you know, it was very apparent and easy for clinicians to recognize to use a safer glargine. And now we're talking about Dagludek, which has even a little bit lesser nocturnal hypoglycemia episodes. And was it something about the kinetic profile of NPH that gave it more nocturnal hypoglycemia, or was it something else that we don't understand about the drug? So if you're looking at the, um, the graph comparing the pharmacokinetic 
and dynamic of glargine and NPH. Glargine has a little peak, but then it's relatively very flat profile. If you look at NPH, um, it lasts for about 10 to 14 hours. There is an apparent peak, and that peak usually occurs around six to eight hours. If you think about how NPH is given, it's usually twice a day. And so, you know, people were getting that lowering, low hypoglycemic episodes when NPH was working at its peak. And so, Somebody who was taking 10 units of NPH at bedtime, um, let's say around 9 o'clock, think about that 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, it's about that 6-hour peak time that's where they were developing the low-sugar episodes. Right. So you're saying that for these basal longer-acting insulins, as you would probably hypothesize now, it's advantageous to really have as little peak as possible to avoid some of these issues. That's absolutely correct. And just to circle back to what we were talking about, I was able to pull up the data from that European study. It was a one-year study, and they looked at glargine versus degladec. And actually, what interesting when we talk about it having a lower risk of the nighttime hypoglycemia and overall hypoglycemia, they actually they started them out at 10 units per individual. That was the starting dose of both agents. And at the end of the study, the average doses were 0.59 units per kilogram for degladec and 0.60 units per kilogram for glargine. So the whole time that it had that lower risk of those side effects, they were looking essentially still at that one-to-one -one dosing. And that was over a one-year period. So perhaps that it isn't, or that we'll still see that one-to-one -one as people continue on the medication. So just to review the three agents that we talked about today, the first was 2JO, which is insulin glargine, which is a more concentrated version of an existing product called Lantus that is already on the market. Right. And the second medication we talked about was the Hemolog U200, which again is a more concentrated form of the same medication there, the same uh, short-acting or rapid-acting insulin. And the third one we talked about is a whole other class of insulin called ultra-long-acting insulin, and generic name is Degladec. It's available in U100 and U200. The brand name is Traceba. And although we would like to talk to you about all the different new insulins that are out, quickly mentioning that Traceba combination, uh, a combination of Degladec with Aspart is also out with the brand name of um, Rizodag, it's a 70-30 combination, and so it's also approved along with Traceba. Um, kinetic profile is a little bit different. Um, it's a combination insulin, and usually combination insulins are given twice a day, but this one will be given once a day with whatever meal um, they would choose. I probably would like to give it with the biggest meal of the day, uh, considering it's given once a day. And onset of action is 5 to 15 minutes, and the peak occurs somewhere around 30 to 60 minutes. So the peak and the onset is more, if you can um, think about aspart, the way it works, it's kind of reflecting that. Very interesting. So for the listeners who haven't visited us already, we're at helixtalk.com. We love five-star reviews in iTunes because it helps other listeners discover the podcast. If you have any uh, episode suggestions, you can email us at helixtalk.com. We have our contact information there. With that, I'm Dr. Kane. I'm Dr. Schumann. And I'm Dr. Patel. Study hard, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Helix Talk. This is an educational production, copyright Rosalind Franklin University of Medicine and Science. For more information about the show, please visit us at helixtalk.com.